welcome to the Pastured Pig Podcast, where we share the successes and challenges of raising pigs on pasture. We talk to producers all over the country, from small homesteads to large commercial pasture operations. Whether you're new to pastured pigs or have been raising hogs for decades, we hope you hear new ideas and new perspectives on pasturing hogs. Here's your host, Troy McClung. Hello, everybody. This is Troy with the Pastured Pig Podcast. Glad everyone took the time to uh, listen to another episode today. I've got a, uh, another great interview looking forward to here with uh, uh, a farm out of New York. It's, uh, it's something that resonates with me because uh, Greg tells a story of reclaiming an old abandoned farm. I think his farm would aban- was abandoned for almost 40 years. So um, it's neat to hear somebody else having to take on that, uh, that task. I think you'll enjoy his story here. Um, <clears throat> as far as updates go here on the farm, we have our new pigs on farm now. At the point of me recording this intro, we've had our uh, our new herd that was uh, that we got from Six Oaks Farms there with David Crafton down in South Carolina. You've heard him on the podcast multiple times. Uh, but we got our delivery on Friday of last week, and uh, fifteen. Uh, some, uh, various size hogs. They're all uh, yeah, recently weaned. Uh, all good looking hogs and excited to see how they do here on the property. So we'll uh, keep everyone posted as we go forward with that and, and give updates as we go along. Well, I'm going to jump right into the interview and I'll catch you all on the backside. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Pastured Pig Podcast. I have another great interview teed up tonight. Uh, this evening, I'm talking with Greg Putney from the Rise and Swine Farm in Holland, New York. So welcome, Greg. Welcome. Hey, Troy. Thanks for having me. Did I pronounce your last name correctly? Yep. Yes, right. you did. Very good. Okay. So uh, Rise and Swine Farm, I love that. That's that's great. I, uh, that's, that's, uh, I love the play on, on words there. So uh, how did yep. you come across that? Is that, uh, is that some, some clever story behind that? Uh, not really. <laughs> we started, <laughs> uh, we, we kind of started just raising pigs and, my aunt actually worked for a big advertising place, and she came up with the name, so All right. we've uh, just kind of attached on it and ran with it ever since. All right, good deal, good deal. Well, uh, tell us, uh, Greg, give us uh, kind of a 40,000-foot elevation uh, discussion of your farm setup there, just kind of what you've got going on, uh, kind of the lay of the land. All right, well, <clears throat> our entire farm consists of about 120 acres. Uh, we own 21, and we lease the rest from uh, an adjacent farm and uh, <clears throat> it's been an abandoned farm probably about 35 or 40 years hmm. so there, there has been no fencing no infrastructure no roadways that's essentially all been gone so we've been taking care of that getting everything back up fencing and uh, we put a big water line system in this year for a gravity water system and we've slowly been uh, running the animals over the land reclaiming it and Slowly and surely, uh, we're getting it back to where we are going to have it pretty good this year. Yeah, interesting. So, uh, actually, the, my property was an abandoned property. Um, so, in that in that time that it was that it laid fallow, was was anybody doing anything? Was anybody cutting hay, or was it where you're actually seeing pasture grow back up? Nope, it was all grown back up. It was pretty much uh, pretty much red brush in the main pasture. Uh, if you take like a a 90 acre block, uh, half of it was already back into a, uh, young woods hmm. and then the other half was at one point it was a hay field and that was all <clears throat> back into the red brush so oh, wow. that was our uh, our first order of business was to 
put the perimeter fence around that field and uh, start reclaiming that. And then this last summer, we've actually run the pigs through the woods pretty hard, and uh, we've gotten that back pretty close to where we like to see it. So oh, Very good. So you're using, uh, in the past, you used your pigs to do that, or did you have to bring in some equipment to get uh, to get something um, started? We, <clears throat> we did as much as we could with the animals. Some of the stuff was just too big, so we did end up bringing some equipment in. Maybe out of the uh, 45 acres, we probably had equipment on probably two acres of it oh. just to get some of the bigger stuff down but in yeah. the woods we've uh <clears throat> cleaned out a lot of the underbrush and then uh most of the woods right now is cherry trees mm, yeah. um so and the cherry and apple so we've we finished our pigs up in the apple orchard there's an abandoned apple orchard that's highest up on the hill on the highest point of the property it's roughly about a five acre apple orchard that's up there so come November, October, we take and run our pigs up through there, let them finish on apples, and then uh, they're off to freezer camp after that. Yeah, wow, what a great way to finish. Yeah, I'm sure they hate yeah. that too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Cuts the feed bill down, that's for sure. Yeah, absolutely. All right, so um, so you said you, you started with pigs there, but you, you're not solely doing pigs on Rising Swine, correct? No, uh, three years ago, when we uh, ended up leasing this other farm, we ended up bringing beefers on, and we did a bunch of research. I took about a year looking into some breeds and stuff like that, just for our climate, and we ended up deciding to start with Scottish Highlands, <clears throat> particularly more or less because they are a less picky eater. They're more of a browser. I guess they're kind of considered like the goats of the cow world. Yeah. So we brought we brought them on, and we've had them for three years. We do daily pasture moves every day they're rotating through the the pasture and this last summer we've seen just huge improvements in the in the you know just the quality of the forage and the quantity of the forage is really the third year is it's really taken off so wow yeah we're actually gonna kind of cut back on the scottish highlands now that the forage has come up and we're actually uh bringing back in um some black baldies we got some herefords that are going to be coming in this year so we're going to start transitioning slowly over to more traditional beef cows yeah wow so. uh, yeah i'm trying to keep from going down that uh that uh, rabbit trail there because i'd love to talk about highlanders we've been looking at adding those to our farm yeah. as well uh but that but that's interesting i i, I love i love the attitude and, and the strategy there of utilizing uh, the proper animal to get you to a certain point. So the Highlander has, has, has been kind of the pioneer there, clearing out the land, clearing out some of the underbrush. And like you said, you're transitioning now to a more traditional uh, ruminant yeah. that can that can handle now this good pasture. So, yeah, I love that. It's, it's much better than yeah. spraying or equipment and all that type of stuff. Yep. Yeah, we, you know, we, it's very Salton style, I guess you like to say, where we haven't tilled anything, we haven't, you know, plowed anything or seeded or, anything in the main pasture um we've actually got pictures from the lady that we leased the property from from back in the 1920s and there's actually in the background you can see all the fields and you can see i mean it was just all open you know hay fields back then at that time mm. and i mean you can see the quality of the forage i mean you only see the top half of the cows you know yeah so you know <clears throat> the seed bank is there and everything is there it just needed to get restarted and you know that's that's really what we were going for with bringing these animals on oh wow so was that farm being in that part of new york was that a dairy farm or was that 
just beef? Yes, back then it was a dairy and um, it was a horse farm. Hmm. Oh. So they had both, but the cows in the picture are, you know, Holsteins. So they were at they were milking at one point. The original barn is still there. The original house is still there. Wow. And uh, we just ended up actually, when you take the pictures from where those pictures were taken, you can actually see our fence lines that we put up were actually almost in the identical spots as what they had them back then. Yeah. And we had, you know, it just kind of went with the lay of the land, how we thought everything would roll. And, you know, it ended up being almost an identical picture, you know, 100 years later. So. Yeah, that's amazing. So was was that the reason why you started with pigs, just because of, of the condition of the farm? You thought this was the most logical animal to start with? Uh, actually, with the pigs, we my my daughter in, was born, and we decided that you know we were done buying store meat. So that's what actually ended up getting us started in raising pigs. And we started with two, and then you know, in typical gateway it finds out everybody else finds out you're raising it, and then. They want one, and then it, next thing you know, it's almost a full-time business, you know. Yeah. So yeah, we've been too. growing right along just via kind of word of mouth, and, you know, <clears throat> it's been a good thing. That people have, that people get the opportunity to come over the farm. We have uh, multiple farm tours during the year, so we, you know, we bring groups of about 30 or 40 people in every time, and we walk out and through the farm. There's a spot where it hasn't been touched. We kind of left it. And just to show the comparison and, you know, you can see really what we're rotating the animals and, you know, uh, just a, such a difference you can make in just three or four years, you know. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. Yeah, it's, that's great to see that progress made. So, Greg, tell me a little bit about your experience. Is this is this something new to you? Are you, um, are you trained in farming? Is this something you've got a history in or did you just decide to take it on? <laughs> I grew up, I was on a farm until I was about four or five years old and then we moved into a subdivision and uh we moved back out to the country when we got married and i've raised this will be our 10th year <clears throat> doing this with the pigs mm. and then like i said we've slowly added on we do uh pastured meat birds and the beef now so we have a little bit of a variety but you know, we moved back out here i mean my family's all had farms my <clears throat> my grandfather's brother owns a big farm they run about 300 Angus, more traditional style farm. And uh, we just wanted to do something a little different, you know. Yeah. So we came back out here and we've grown and, you know, we got the good reputation and the good quality products and, you know, we're we're headed down the right path. So. so what kind of research or time did you put into this? Again, having a family that, that's been experienced, but it sounds like they were kind of more in traditional type ag uh, yep. what what was your what was your, your inspiration or what was your your research source there well we you know i read a lot of uh joel salton's books mm-hmm. uh we've been down i went down to one of jordan green's classes down there in virginia and we went through his uh pharaoh to finish school and just to really kind of upscale our our pig program and you know our farrowing and out on pasture and stuff like that so you kind of you know, mimicry is, you know, I guess you could say flattering, I guess, because we really kind of, we go to all these different farms and even local farms up here, and we just keep pulling bits and pieces of what we see that works, and we bring it back here and put it on ours and kind of really, you know, make the whole system flow a little bit better, so. Yeah, wow. There's a lot, there's a lot of a lot of reading books and a lot of research, and then, 
eventually you know you can only do so much of that before you dive into it so. right yeah <laughs> yep just gotta just gotta jump in sometimes gotta go for it <laughs> so is this uh, is rising swine a full-time gig for you now do you have all far- all farm job or somebody else uh, we uh we actually both still have off farm jobs i'm i'm a lineman for electric company oh okay and uh my wife works for the state of new york and um we're at the point now where I'm going to stay doing what I do and she's going to come and we're going to, we're in the process of putting up an on-farm store right now. And then we're going to end up doing some delivery hubs and points like that. So she's going to retire, I guess you could say from the state and we're going to, she's going to pursue it farther oh, yeah. on the store side of it. So Very good. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll go to, we'll stick a pin in that uh, retail store. I want to get to that on down in our discussion because okay. that's, that's, <laughs> that in your online sales i want to talk about that a little bit but okay so so all farm income she's probably going to uh, here soon uh, retire and, and handle yep. the retail side of that so uh, my goodness you know one hard job to another so the alignment that's not an easy job so how no, do you, that's how, a that's almost a two two full-time jobs you know yeah you know you're working a thousand fifteen hundred hours of overtime a year on top of the farm and so that's why we really push to try and make everything as efficient as we can you know yeah. and as, as easy for like my uncle's retired so i can call him and he can come over here and do something real quick with chores and it's really easy you know it's it's really designed to be you know our average time in the summertime from start to finish checking all the animals and making sure everything's good the pens and the fences and everything else like that on a normal day in the summertime it's about 35 or 40 minutes for us you know yeah so it's not a very big burden if I have to have somebody come in and kind of step in for a few days, you know. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, have systems in place and have people that are familiar with those systems. Yep. Yep, the water, our water system is, it's cut about 12 or 15 hours out a week. It's freed up time just for us not having to pump water onto a trailer, haul it back, water the animals. You know, that's a huge you know, we'd step back at the end of the year last year and we're like, where do we have our most wasted time? And that was right on the top of the list, you know? Mm. So and, we made sure we we had a point of this is how we were going to do it. This is how we designed it. So it's a gravity fed system and it's a gravity drained system. So in the fall time, <clears throat> we can just go back and kick all the drains open. And then uh, in the summer, you know, like in the springtime, we'll go close them up, fill up the tank, and uh, on the property, we have about 46 different spigots right now that we can tap into at any time. So I can pretty much cover the entire property with, a two, you know, 200 feet of hose. Yeah. So. Wow. Well, well let's. Wow. Okay. Let's let's unpack some stuff there because there's there's some there's a lot of meat on that bone. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> okay. So um, gravity fed system. So uh, so backing up. Um, you hit, hit on something key, and I think it's something we all need to do, whether we're a you know, huge operation or we're just you know, doing a little bit of sales here and there. But you did an you did an annual assessment, so I assume if you have an off season, at some point you kind of looked and said, "Okay, let's assess what was good, what was bad last year." Correct. Mm-hmm. So coming to that, you realize you kind of did a time analysis to say where are we spending the most time, where you know, where's our biggest inefficiency. Tell tell me about that process a little bit. Well, we kind of, the beef operation really took off last year. So we, we ended up going from seven cows to about 30 cows. Oh, wow. That we carried for the, carried for the summer. So 
that's obviously a lot of water, you know, and we were, we were watering out of IVC totes on a running gear. You know, we had three or four of them bolted onto the running gear. We could go back, fill it, and then go back and it would last for a couple of days, you know, for the cows and you could hit the pigs on the way through and water them and stuff like that. So we just designed a system and it's, and I'm sure there's plenty of other farms that have a similar system, but mm-hmm. we have 4,500 gallons of storage on the highest point of the farm. And we uh, actually, we took a subsoiler for behind like a tractor on a three point hitch. And we put a, uh, like a two inch sweep elbow. We welded on the back of it mm-hmm. and we put the spool of water line on the back of the subsoiler. So you literally can just drive the tractor Lay your line. and it just puts the water line right in. It goes down, you know, you can get it down about 20 inches, but, <clears throat> and every so often, you know, we just, we'd have the whole dug from the excavator and we would just put our spigot, our riser pipe on it. And then we just keep right on going, you know, so we could pull roughly 2,300 feet of water line. You could do it in about two and a half hours Yeah, with the tractor. And, you know, in New York, obviously the frost line is much farther than 20 inches, but we also don't rotationally graze in the wintertime up here. We don't have the ability to do that with the forage. So right. we we just knew offhand that we were going to have a drained system yeah, for so the you, wintertime and not even plan on trying to do it. Yeah, so you have your livestock in a sacrificial area, shut down the pastures. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah, yeah, very, very yep. Salatinesque as well. Yeah, very cool. Yeah. Yeah, and so along that point, so you said 4,500 gallons of capacity at the highest point. Where is that fed? Is that rain collection? Are you filling that up in one fell swoop, or is that tied to city lines? Uh, well, it's actually, yeah, we don't have, I wish we had, well, I wish we don't have city water, but it comes out of our well, and okay. then we also have a spring-fed pond right above where our pump is. Yeah. So even if the well ran dry, which we've never had it run dry, um, we can actually pump it up uphill out of that pond also it's tagged in both ways so from the highest point on the farm down to the lowest it's a little over 240 feet elevation difference so we get pretty good pressure on the lowest points you know we're <clears throat> i never actually put a gauge on it but i mean when you know, crack the valve open it shoots 60 feet out of the valve yeah you know? yeah so i think more than so. enough to run an automatic tank float yeah, yeah, I think Salatin, last time I talked to him about this, I think he was getting 80 PSI uh, yeah. from his gravity fed. That's incredible. So have you penciled out the ROI on that yet? I mean, have you really done an, an assessment yet of uh, not only the time, but you know, you had some money invested, obviously, in putting this in, but have, have, you, have yeah. you put dollar amounts to that yet? Uh, yeah, the entire system. So all of our lines, fittings, our spigots, uh, the tanks, both tanks, we actually we found used, so they were one was actually free, and the other one we just picked up last week was uh, four hundred dollars for mm-hmm. a two thousand gallon tank. Yeah. And uh, so the total investment out of pocket was right around like eighteen hundred dollars. Mm. And uh, like I said, the subsoiler we can use it for other things on the farm if we have to, but we kind of built it specifically to pull water line in, and then. Uh, like you said, we just have a little bit of electric for running the pump, and everything is on automatic float. So when the tank up on top of the hill gets low, the tank on the bottom, you know, the pump turns on and fills up the tank, and everybody's happy. So, yeah, I mean, what what a game changer! That's that's yeah. that's utilizing the technology, the automation, a little front end cash, of course. And my goodness, that that minor investment yeah. is is paid dividends already in the first year. It's not like you're going to have to wait for that to 
to really show up four or five years down yeah. the road. Oh yeah, because if you figure, I mean, <clears throat> you figure fifteen hours a week, say, and you're gonna pay yourself, say you paid yourself thirty bucks an hour, that's four hundred and fifty bucks a week right there in time. Yeah. And you're not even considering, you know, using the tractor multiple times a week. You know, you got excess use on the tractor. And if you can get a system like that, and it's really easy because when we move the cows, we only have a little 30-gallon water trough with it in a tank float right on it. So we, you can literally drain the, you just flip the tank over, clean it, and move it. And anybody can do it. You know, my 8-year-old daughter can go back and drag the water tank and move the cows on her own pretty practically. You know, it's a very easy to use system and it's very low maintenance and that's that's really the center of what we're trying to build you know yeah i mean fantastic not only time saver but massive infrastructure upgrade uh just increases value across the board yeah good yeah. job yeah so let's talk specifically about your pigs then do you do you focus on a specific breed um we always used to buy our piglets and then it got around here. It was really hard to find like decent quality piglets, so we actually ended up bringing on some. Uh, we ended up buying some gilts, and we originally uh, brought on ips, as you know, it was more like mm -hmm. a grazing pig instead of a rooting pig. And it was hopefully we were going to kind of bring them on, and kind of run with the cows almost at the same time after afterwards, you know. Yeah. And they do a good job. They're a little bit longer grow out time than what I really like, being that we have a limited, you know, grow out season in New sure. York to be out on the pasture. So we actually ended up bringing on Berkshires. So we have some Berkshire sows now, and we actually have a purebred Berkshire boar. And the boar will breed. <laughs> he'll breed to the Ips. We get some really nice crosses out of those, and they grow a little bit faster, a little bit bigger than your standard bred Ip. Yeah. But uh, we're kind of really, really kind of impressed with the Berkshires and, you know, just actually, you know, probably three hours ago, I just had one feral and she had 12 in the litter. So, and it's 25 degrees and raining here in New York right now. Oh, wow. Yeah. So they're doing, they're very good and we're, we're pretty impressed with them and we're just going to keep, you know, up updating it if we need to. And then, you know, just hopefully we can kind of get pigs that are really fit into the system that we want you know we're not trying to redesign the wheel here and yeah. make something work that doesn't want to be here and doesn't want to do what we need it to do so so what is your finishing window there in new york so you're saying with the ips you're getting a little bit longer finish that you didn't like what are you shooting for and what are you getting <clears throat> well the the ips are like usually 10 to 12 months we noticed mm -hmm. to get them up to like about where i wanted like to see them go and the Berkshires, we can get the same thing in about eight months. Yeah. So I like to have our big, our we have a large group that we run for the summertime, and I like to see those gone back in the processor by mid-November at the latest right. because the last couple of years we've been getting some pretty good snow in November. So we like to have that large group gone, and then, um, you know, they'll, they'll start farrowing. Well, they just farrowed here today, so. The end of January, beginning of February, we like to see them feral, and then that gives us our time out till the end of the year for the next group to go in October. Yeah. So. Okay. Well, so explain your farrowing situation uh, here a little bit. How how do you have that set up? Uh, actually, right now, the because of the weather that we've had, I've got these four that we have farrowing now. They're actually up in a large run-in lean-to on a barn, so they have about a thirty by forty area where they're at right now, and uh, 
they do perfectly fine in there. Um, now, most have... of the time, the the boar is the, we actually left him in the last time, and he was perfectly fine. But this time now, we got enough sows that he's broke out. He's in with another group of sows right now. Hmm. So, <laughs> boar will be a, a boar. It's, yeah. it's a yeah, <laughs> the living the dream, I guess you could say. Right. So, he uh, it's been an experience just getting into the farrowing part of it. You know, we went to Jordan's down there at Jane L. Green Farm, and we really learned a lot before we got really dove into this whole farrowing thing. So we'll farrow now in February, and then we're going to farrow again in the summertime, hmm. and then those ones will be out on, in pasture on the woods, you know. Yeah, yeah. So so in that. Those will be our, uh, our spring piglets that we carry through the winter. They go to the processing right around May, so. Yeah. So the 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 sows that are farrowing right now in your your lean to is that an enclosed? Do you do you have them separated in their own in their own stalls, or are they just kind of hanging out nope, all together? It's all it's a big open, pretty much like a big open common area, and they're all in there, and they're actually two pairs of sisters. Yeah. So they actually, <clears throat> the last time that we had this, they actually like co-parented like incredible, you know. Yeah. They were it actually worked out really good. The piglets did really good like that. And we had no issues of, you know, piglets, you know, dying or getting, you know, eaten by other sows and it worked out very well. So it's it's been a good thing. Do you have a common creep area for them with a heat light or you just rely on the uh, sows? Actually what we do, what what we found that really kind of works the best up here is actually we take an IBC tote and we put a heat lamp inside the IBC tote and then we cut just a little door in it, you know, maybe 10 inches tall, so just the piglets can get in there and away from the sows if they feel like they have to. Yeah, what so a great idea. Stays a little bit, it stays a little bit warmer in there. You know, we don't put any hay in there or anything else like that. It's strictly just an IBC tote with the plastic. So hmm. if something ever did happen, you know, you know, the threat of a fire is very low compared to, you know, having it stuffed full of hay right yeah absolutely yeah. for trouble but it's, it's... They, they honestly they don't really go in there you know they they hang by the sows and the barn is all completely wind protected so they're they're pretty they're usually pretty happy you know yeah excellent well that's a good setup i like that ibc toad idea that's pretty that's pretty clever yeah it's somebody else's idea i'm sure but we stole it so. <laughs> yeah there you go that's yeah there's there's nothing new anymore they say yeah <laughs> All right, you'd mentioned a little bit, but uh, let's talk a little bit of detail with your rotational pasture process with the pigs. You'd said you'd fin- you talked about you finished them up on the hill on the apple orchard. Do you have um, adjustable size paddocks, or have you made your pasture areas uh, pretty much the same size, and you, you you've got fixed fencing there? Yeah, well, so our our pastures that we where we run the pigs, it has a perimeter fence around it, and then we subdivide it, fitting to the size of pigs that we have in it. So in a normal day, there you know, there's whatever, 30, 30 pigs in a group, you know, who you seem to like that number. And they're moving every five to ten days, depending on the amount of forage that they're going into mm-hmm. and what part of the woods that they're going into. So they are moving. Um, a lot of times we'll just run the single wire around, you know. Yeah. And then there's some spots up there where it's a little brushier and that's a lot easier to put up. And then there's spots in the apple orchard where it's all been cleaned out from them, the previous ones, and we actually use that uh, quick fence from Premier. Yeah, yeah. So we ended up, you know, we'll do a 100 by 100 paddock for 
the 30 pigs and then we have one of the solar fencers right from premier and we've had good luck with them and like i said we haven't had any breakouts so knock on wood yeah yeah that's <laughs> they, uh, we have a we have a training area i guess you could call it so when we pull the pigs from getting the piglets from from weaning we put them into this training area and it's a hard cattle panel fence and then we put the hot wire you know we electric fence train them right in there mm-hmm. so they go in there and even if they get out we you know what i mean they're just on the other side of the wire we right. can just put them back in and you know two or three days they're good to go and then they go out back yeah so, yeah they seem to pick up on that pretty quickly yeah yeah they and you get a nice hot fencer they they respect it pretty fast yeah so. So um, another another point there I want to look at. So you were talking about, um, wow, totally derailed my train of thought there. <laughs> Jumped the tracks big time. Oh, yeah, so feed, feed. So yeah, while you've got them in your, your pasture paddocks, are you doing free choice? Are you rationing daily? How are you approaching feed? Uh, we actually have, so we have um, like a 12-bin feeder that holds 2,000 pounds of grain. So we run that through with the pig pellets in it. And then uh, if it's pretty much free choice, uh, with the sows, we'll ration when they're back in pasture. Mm. You know, they get fed daily. And then the boar, he's obviously fed daily too. But our feeder pigs, we give free choice to it. But we like keeping them moving. So, you know, we we can we like to finish right around seven to 800 pounds of grain going through a pig is mm. what we figure. We, you know, we sit down and crunch the numbers at the end of the year. Yeah. That's about the average of what we can run them through on pasture. Um when they got extra forage, they got apples, they got all kinds of stuff to, to, you know, to go through. So it definitely cuts down on the feed cost running them on pasture like that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Like you said, as long as there's good forage and especially in the fall, we have that benefit in our forest and, uh, in the fall, you've got a lot this year. We had a ton of mast. It's just acorns out the acorns and hickory nuts more than you can handle. I I would love to have a bunch of oak trees up here (laughs) just to finish them on, but you know, we got the apples, so we kind of utilize what we got for now. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Adapt to what your what your land gives you. I don't I don't have any apples, yeah. but I got more white oak trees than I could ever shake a stick at. So, yeah. Nice. All right. So let's uh, let's talk a little bit. Let's transition to your your retail side and your your, your marketing. You you had mentioned that uh, working on an on farm store, and and I think that's new for twenty twenty. Correct. Yeah, we're going to start that in a couple months up here. Uh, we're just going through the permitting and getting the electric coal company on board with what we want to do and, <laughs> and things like that. We've looked. You don't have any pull with that? <laughs> what, what's that? I said, you don't have any pull with that electric company? <laughs> oh, no, no, it's a different company. I have solar panels here, actually, so everybody gives me a hard time. Oh, man, yeah. Just because I, I work for the electric company doesn't mean I need to pay them every month. That's know? right. That's like a school teacher homeschooling their kids. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> So, but yeah, we're in the process. We've looked at multiple places close to town, in town, uh, for renting and stuff like that. But dollars and cents wise, it just doesn't make sense right now for us to to dive into a inexpensive lease, you know, for a storefront. So yeah. For what we can spend on one year of renting a storefront, we could put pretty much the entire building up by the you know walk-in cooler and the walk-in freezer, and set our entire thing up right here. And then we can work it out of here for the deliveries and, you know, the website orders and everything come in right here. We could break it down, repackage it, get the orders filled, and then, you know, they would be ready for delivery after that point. So 
Yeah, and that's that's key, and that's that's something. Yeah, put my marketing hat on for a second. That's something that I think we people need to take note of. What you're doing, Greg, was saying, okay, we're going to bring all this to the farm, and now we're going to expect people to come to us. But you've you've underscored that already with your farm tours and just making the farm already hospitable for traffic. So it, mm-hmm. it turns it into a destination location. So uh, instead of you know, an impulse buy or straight retail buy, be, people are, are looking at a destination to come to because they have a specific plan in mind. They want to come buy your product. And, yeah. and then investing all that time and effort into that to say, here's, here's the one-stop shop. You can come see the facility. You can buy all of our product. You can communicate with us, you know, whatever other value-added product you have there in the store. It's, it's, it's something I think yeah. a lot of us overlook and think, well, there's no way in the world somebody's going to drive out here. But if you, if you really focus on that destination location, that's going to yeah. get people's attention. Yeah. And the, and the big thing that we're really kind of pushing is that, and I'm sure it goes on pretty much everywhere, but there's a lot of, um, other stores very similar to that, that, portray that they raise what they're selling you mm-hmm. know and a lot of them when you actually sit down you obviously don't tell them that you have your own farm and you're doing your own store but like when you go in and you talk to some of these places they actually are buying just regular beef wholesale getting it repackaged and just reselling it with right. their label on it yeah so there's there's a lot of i guess false marketing of what really is out there and you know the consumer really you got to really build that relationship with the consumer and say, Hey, you know, these actually are our cows. These are actually our pigs, you know, our chickens, you know, we've raised these things from day one all the way out. You know, you're really getting what you see here. You know, you're not, there's a lot of that that happens around here. And you know, it's like the perfect social media farm. Mm -hmm. But then when you actually go there, it's nothing like what you said. Right. Exactly. It's like, Oh man, this is like all smoke and mirrors, you know, but it looked good on the computer, you know? Right. Yeah. So the old we, digital representation. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and that's really what we're pushing. We're pushing for really completely local to the town of Holland as close as we can get products. You know, there's a lady that has some property behind us that we were going to carry her honey and lip bombs and stuff like that. And, you know, if there's other vendors, you know, if there's a, small organic vegetable farm that does a csa you know we could offer that through the farm store as a central pickup point yeah and then or deliver you know they can even piggyback on our delivery if they have the same customer that we're getting stuff from you know we're going to the same area we could just piggyback deliveries and really kind of consolidate you know make things a little bit more efficient for everybody you know yeah and and those partnerships uh, those connections can really go a long way and uh, yeah. you know, I, I love what you're doing there. Yeah, when I, you know, if I could underline that again, just just as people that are that are listening to this and saying, "Hey, how do how do I do that with my farm?" Then reaching out to neighbors if you're in a an ag community and just seeing what you can do to again underscore that destination location, get to where you know we're not saying you're ever going to be the Walmart of of of, of grass-fed food but get to where people can say i can really come here and i could i could spend an afternoon uh just checking this place out buying um, you know talking discuss all those type of things it really really pays dividends in the long run yeah i mean really the the thing that really started driving this was the farm tours you know we started offering farm tours like three years ago and it's just incredible the, the amount that you get out of that. You know, you actually like get to build a relationship with the customer. I mean, they're not your customer yet at that point, but 
they get to see you on your farm interacting with the animals you know you get to explain to them how the animals are raised and how they're processed and you know just the whole start to finish procedure and they really buy you know they really buy into the trust that you built with them you know right just letting people in onto your farm is a huge thing you know there's some guys that don't do it at all and then there's guys that you know they have an open door policy 24 7 you know yeah so we like to think we're like in the middle there where we have scheduled tours where we can educate the customer and the consumer that's coming out and you know we like we a couple of years ago i went and talked at a school and you really get to see how much kids nowadays really don't know about farming you know like it's it's kind of it's almost shocking you know mm, right yeah. they just they just don't know and they don't know where their food comes from they think it comes from the store you know but that that's where it comes from you know yeah <laughs> there's exactly. a whole lot more to it so yeah there's a, there's a huge educational element to it there and um yeah it's 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 a good opportunity to take that head on and and really address um yeah, so many things, you know, the quality of the food, where it comes from, what it actually looks like, the processes that go into it. But you'd mentioned, you know, getting people on farm, that's that's a key touch point with a potential customer. So if you've got yeah, data capture opportunities in place, yeah, you're, you're hey, you're doing samples, doing whatever the case may be. Yeah. And, and then yeah, you see the value added, yeah. Yeah, you always, I mean, we always have, you know, we have bacon for samples and we do, you know, little cheeseburger sliders or something like that. And yeah. Yeah, it's not, it's not a huge cost to it, but. You know they get to actually like try what you have and that's a huge that's just a huge thing to build a relationship with them you know well and again yeah that's something and i the thing that pops in my mind is is salatin's uh on-farm store and again he's he's obviously got a, a pretty good following but even the value-added products you go in and you're going to buy some of his pasture-raised product but you look around you know there's books there's shirts there's coffee mugs there's things because he's again he's made it a destination location you come in and say oh i want i want this swag and you know maybe it maybe for the typical yeah, pastured pig farmer. It's not going to be books and T-shirts. It could be. Yeah. It could be just accessories to say, "Hey, here's a recipe book on, on this, or here's some actual yeah, additional seasoning uh, that you can buy if you're going to, you know, you're going to smoke your pork chop. Yeah, whatever the case may be. Just some of that value added that uh, at that point is, um, is just a retail exchange. It really can add yeah. a lot of uh, money to your your endeavor there. Oh yeah, and we and you notice a big difference too in going from. You know, when we first originally started, it was holes and halves, you know, maybe a quarter cow or whatever. But now, you know, you're, you got to step up to the plate and you got to spend money to get it, you know, USDA process for individual cuts. You know, the, there's people that are going to only buy certain things right. every time, yeah. you know, and you got to, you got to, you got to have the USDA, you know, it, we don't live in an area where there's a lot of that around. You know, we're traveling two hours to a USDA processor, mm. <clears throat> but I actually have the processor that does our, our, you know, holes and halves is literally five minutes down the road from me. So it's very convenient for me to take them for that, but it's also not convenient for the customer to have to buy 120 pounds of pork at a time. Oh, yeah. You know, they, yeah. and yeah, the realistic, the business side of it is you are going to make a little bit more money selling cuts. You know, you're not you're not selling the wholesale amounts like that, you know, you're going to make a little bit more money on it, but it is a convenience factor too. Right. So. Yeah. It definitely a balance there. Excellent. Yeah. 
All right, Greg, well, what are you looking ahead? So we know 2020 is going to be the farm store. If you looked ahead five you know, five years, what's your five-year plan? What do you what do you see um, uh, change or growth in, in that area? Well, <clears throat> five years, I'd like to see the perimeter fence completely finished. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we keep you keep adding a little at a time as we go, you know, clear it out and, you know, just slowly plug along and try and get the perimeter fence. You know, you'll be able to sleep a little bit better at night knowing that even if they do get out they're not really going anywhere right know? yeah but uh <clears throat> you know the with the lease on the land we'd like to have either a long-term lease or possibly work out a purchase for it you know we have a, a 10-year lease on it right now and we're in the third year hmm. so some you know in the, the next seven years we're gonna have to either sit down again and you know renegotiate the lease out farther or you know maybe come up with a purchase opportunity for it or you know maybe another option that's you know they can come up with something different so yeah. but at that point you know five or ten years down the road the kids are going to be quite a bit older you know she's going to be 18 maybe she'll stick around maybe she won't you don't really know at that point but you know you got to give them the opportunity to do what they want to do too so you can't have them tied down you know this is not you know it's not like this is what you're going to do as farm you know it's they might choose a different path and you got to be prepared you know, in the business sense of things, to not have grown so big that you have to rely on that, you know, or you have to bring on employees, you know. Right. Yeah, that's that's a whole so, other can of worms. <laughs> yeah, that's a whole. Yeah, we try real hard. You know, it's just us right now, so we're trying real hard not to to put that off as long as we have to. You yeah. Know? Yeah. And we'll see. We'll cross that bridge when we get there. But. Yeah. Good deal. Hopefully the uh, the breeding program keeps up the way it's going and things keep improving and the quality of the land keeps growing better and better and you know we're just the rotation thing with the cows is it's just crazy how much that improves you know and we've never spread seed in the pastures and you go out and you look and you just see all these different varieties you know and it's like man we didn't put any seed in the ground and it's all come up on its own you know yeah that's fantastic <clears throat> it's right. a good thing to see. Well, Greg, uh, one question I close out with everyone is, uh, is what is your best experience or favorite part about raising pigs on pasture? I like seeing, you know, the farrowing is pretty neat, but uh, probably the best story I have is when we, our first two pigs that we had, you know, we were rushing to get a fence. You know, we had no idea what we were doing, and we were putting up a chain link fence just to try and keep them in. <laughs> right. And sure enough, you let, you know, two little piglets in there, and you know they ran right through the the single wire electric fence and right through the fence and i still remember standing there by the pig pen and watching the piglets run across the front yard then you see the dog running after the piglets and then you see the wife running after the dog you know <laughs> but we ended up you know i ended up catching them and putting them back in but it's like wow that, that took about 13 minutes for those things to get out right exactly so it's it's like well i have no clue what i'm doing right now but it's it's a very humbling experience and then you know, we get a lot of guys that come here that are interested in starting to raise pigs, you know, so I like to tell them, say, hey, this is what you really don't want to do to start, you know, like you try and give them the best head start that you can give them to make it enjoyable so they'll keep doing it, you know. Yeah. Getting younger people involved in it is, you know, it's a good thing. I like seeing that, so. Good deal. All right. Well, if uh, people want to find out more about Rising Swine Farm, how can they find you online? Uh, we got a Facebook page. Pretty much everybody's got one of those. That's uh, at Rising Swine Farm. 
and then we have uh, it's on Instagram it links over and then we have um, the website uh, riseandswinefarms.com so that's where the, we have the online store on there and everything about the farm is on the website also all right yeah and uh, I, have to, I have to confess when I first saw your information come through on the forum I looked at your URL and I'm like risen swine <laughs> I, yeah. thought, I thought there's, there's a spiritual message behind here somewhere <laughs> yeah yeah I don't the bacon is pretty godly but right exactly we'll uh we gotta keep the apostrophes in there right yeah well i'll uh, i'll put all that down in our uh, in our show notes of course and you all can uh, link to that and, and check out what greg's got going on well greg man i appreciate your time appreciate you coming on the podcast and sharing your story with us yep thanks troy Been a good time all right man have a good evening well i hope everyone appreciated that uh, discussion with greg i appreciate him taking the time to to come on the podcast and talk with us uh if you know anyone that um you'd like to hear on the podcast, um, just uh, go to the website, redtoolhouse.com forward slash pastured pig podcast. Use that form there and make any recommendations, or obviously you can find us on Facebook, make some comments that direction. Uh, I'd like to get into some more topics uh, specifically. We've got some good ones coming up, uh, but I'll also have, um, would like to hear your all's input on, on what we need to discuss in the future. All right. Well, I pray everyone has a great week out in the pasture. Take care. We hope you have enjoyed this episode of the Pastured Pig Podcast. To learn more about our podcast or to submit topics or recommend guests for future episodes, visit redtoolhouse.com.